Can I talk to you about one of these uh, passages of scripture that I'm going to guess most of us have read or even heard the story of maybe? Uh, anybody heard about Jesus feeding 5,000 uh, men and their families? Well, that's where we get today in the book of John. Uh, this one kind of preaches itself. It's, uh, it's, it's just one of these texts in the Bible that I, I remember hearing about as a very young man in a church, and it's always kind of been in, the, in, in my head. Uh, but even though it's so common, even though it's, it's uh, so readily available to us in our thoughts, it's, it's still one of these texts that has so much to give us as we go through life. Because here's the deal. It's always something in life. Has anybody noticed this? It's always something. Like things can be just going on, you know, great, and then, and then that something arrives. In my house, it was Tuesday night. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Eleanor, uh, as we're kind of finishing out our day, uh, reminds me that there's been a, a situation in, in the master bath, the, the shower handle, the one-handle thing. Anybody got a one-handle shower? It's been sticking. And so I'm thinking, well, it's probably just come loose from its, you know, uh, bolt, and I'll just go in there with my little iron wrench, and I'll have this thing fixed in five minutes. Uh, anybody want to guess? That is not what happened. In, fi- in fact, the more I tried to fix it, um, uh, the harder it became, and so... Uh, Finally, I just kind of tried to wiggle it so I could pull it off of that one last piece. Uh, and when I did that, I thought I had it fixed, but when I turned the water on, the handle kept spinning. Has anybody been in this situation? And it would have been great if it had just kept spinning when the water was off, but the, the hot water, I'm taking a shower now. This is what's happening because this thing won't, I, I can't get the water to turn off. It's, uh, it's frustrating. Anybody been there? Because here's why. I don't know what I'm doing. I've done what I know to do. I've tried to tighten the little bolt at the bottom of this handle. But now, it's gone way beyond my, my pay grade. I don't know what's going on now. I won't, I won't, I won't I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed to tell you what I did. I, I panicked. I, I, I'm like, okay, I know there's a shutoff valve somewhere down the line from the shower, and I couldn't find it. So I went into the closet, which is on the back side of the shower, and I cut a hole in my wall. Oh yeah. Hoping to find the shutoff valves, by the way, that aren't there. <laughs> Eleanor comes in, and I, 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 I tag my wife in. It's like, we're, it's like we're wrestling. You're in. Go fight King Kong Bundy. I don't know what this is. And she's in there, and she's got a screw, and she's getting wet, and I'm getting wet, and it's, it's hot water, people. Finally, we're on a well. I'm like, and this is 10 o'clock at night, by the way. I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm frustrated, I go out to our well, I shut off all the water in the house. And I know that there's, you know, the rest of my family's gonna get up and wanna take showers in the morning, including myself. And so I gotta get to Home Depot at like six in the morning and try to figure this out. And has anybody ever put your head on the pillow and just, just been like, God, seriously? We had a great day going. What's up with the shower? I mean, thank you that I got the water turned off, I'm not gonna flood my house. Could be worse, absolutely. I'm not irrational, mostly, <laughs> but I am irate. I, can't, I mean, who's ever put your head on the pillow uh, and, and just been like, man, I couldn't sleep. I played through my head all the ways that this is going to get worse in the morning when I try to fix this. I'm going to blow out my bathroom. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Nailed it. Totally fixed it. It works great. Anyway, uh, but, uh, that was Tuesday night. 
And that something wasn't as big a deal as other somethings. I, I get here really early on Sunday mornings and, and around 7.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30, other people start showing up. And I, I just start walking around doing the regular stuff that we need to do to get slides started and, you know, service runs figured out. And, and uh, here's what happened in, in the 15 minutes that I was talking to people. I talked with a man whose uh, father died last week. And, and he's buried his dad and he's mourning. Uh, I, I left that conversation and uh, headed uh, back to our hallway and one of our staff mates um, just found out that the diagnosis that they were fearing might come through for her grandson came through. Uh, my friend's something is his dad dying. My other friend's something is her grandson uh, being sick. Uh, I went back to my office and I remembered that today is August 1st. That's the, the day that my son Ben was born 27 years ago. And so I wrote him a message of, of birthday wishes. And in it, I told him that I'm continuing to pray for him, that God's will for him is to you know, uh, follow him and his, his life is, is out in front of him and, and I'm trusting God to lead you back, but happy birthday. And, and my greater something is waiting for my kid to pull his head out and follow Jesus. Are you with me? We all got something and it's constant. It's relentless. And so we come to this well-known story. Because it's always something, it's so great to be reminded that Jesus is more than enough. That's what he shows his followers today. He actually allows them. He sets them up. He allows them to enter into an impossible situation just so that he could show them, hey, I got this. I'm more than enough. We're in chapter 6 of John, if you're with me. We've been studying this book uh, for the better part of this year. Uh, we have come to a section of the book where John, the writer of the gospel, uh, basically puts Jesus on display in some of his most famous miracles. He's going to feed 5,000 this week. Next week, he's going to walk on water. Who's heard about that one? And then after that, he's going to kind of have, you know, a 30 or 40 verse run where he kind of explains everything that's been going on in these past two miracles. I call these the Moses miracles. Other scholars do as well. Uh, they kind of point to what Jesus uh, had talked about last week, if you were here. In the end of chapter 5, uh, Jesus says to these Jews who were not believing in him, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And what he's referring to is a part of our Old Testaments where Moses himself, as he's writing in the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible, uh, says this about a prophet who is to come. He says in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Skipping to the end of what we're going to study today, uh, the people who were fed, these 5,000 and their families who were fed, they make the connection. They actually say in 614 uh, that the Lord God, uh, excuse me, when the people saw the sign, the feeding that the, uh, Jesus had accomplished, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Uh, these Moses miracles closely aligned uh, Jesus with the story of Israel, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But let's start reading in chapter 6, verse 1. After uh, this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. John's writing at a later time in history to a different audience. They wouldn't know of the Sea of Galilee by its name, Sea of Galilee. They would have called it Sea of Tiberias. I was just told recently this week that uh, MLK and Sefner used to be called Buffalo Avenue. Is that true? Some of you lived here. Okay. Didn't know that, but that's cool. Places change names. That's why John makes the note. 
He says a large crowd was following him. By the way, this miracle is, is the only miracle that makes it into all four of our gospels. Must be pretty important if all four of the gospel writers choose to include it, right? And in those other three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find out that, that Jesus has actually sent his disciples away to do some ministry training, to have some experiences. They've come back, they're tired, and he tries to get them away from the crowds that are trying to get from them. Uh, so he gets in a boat and he sails across the Sea of Galilee. But the Sea of Galilee, just so you know, is not that big. You know, I, I think it's something like six miles by ten miles. It's not that big. And you can actually watch the boat leave. And if you're fast enough, you can walk around and actually meet the people who are sailing across on the other side. And so that's what's happened here. These crowds have followed these tired disciples and their master. And Jesus sees them as uh, reported in Mark chapter 6. And he says, oh, man, these guys are like sheep without a shepherd. Let's talk to them. Let's hang out. And he spends, as it tells us in that gospel, the rest of the day teaching these people. It's now late in the evening, per that account. And as, as you've heard the story probably told before, uh, they got nothing to, to eat. A large crowd has followed him, verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so Jesus went up on the mountain. He sat down there with his disciples and all these people who had followed him. Uh, and then John's very careful. If you read the book of John, he's very careful to time stamp what's going on. He does it by talking about Passover. So here in uh, verse 4, it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. The first mention of the Passover is in chapter 2. Jesus goes to the temple, trashes it, right? Now it's a year later. Jesus is hanging out here. He's feeding the 5,000. Another Passover, it's on its way. And you're going to get to chapter 11, and guess what? It's going to be another Passover. So it's at least three years that Jesus is kind of doing his stuff here in the story of John's gospel. And so uh, he doesn't just do this, though, to time stamp. He's also making sure that readers understand, pay attention Jesus is doing a lot of stuff that we're familiar with from the Old Testament. Like I said, I call these the Moses miracles. You know why I call them the Moses miracles? Because Jesus is about to make bread come down from heaven. Not literally, but he's going to take five loaves in just a second. He's going to break it up and everybody's going to have enough to eat. What does that remind a Jewish person of? The manna that came down in the Exodus, the story of Israel. He's going to provide. And then Jesus, in the next story, spoiler alert, come back next week, but he's going to walk on water. He's going to have power over water. And what does that remind a Jewish reader of? The parting of the Red Sea. And then Passover. Come on, don't miss that. What is the Passover about? It's completely one for one, the story of Christ, the Lamb of God being given on behalf of mankind, right? And so John makes those notes. All right, that's my Reading the book's fun. Let's keep going. Here we go. Lifting his eyes up, it says in verse 5, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, they've already appeared, Jesus turns to one of his specific disciples. It's the only uh, gospel that gives this specificity. And all the others, it's just he turns to his, his followers and he says, but here he turns to a guy named Philip. He's one of the 12. And he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? If you go back to chapter 1, um, Jesus is up here in the region of Galilee. He's actually, in the other Gospels, reported to be in a town or near a town called Bethsaida. Guess who's from Bethsaida? Philip. Come on, people. Stay with me. Who are we talking about here? Philip, right? So Phil's from Bethsaida, and Jesus says, hey, where's the closest Wawa? How can we get these people some food, Phil? I'm not from here. Where's the best place? And it's... It's way past closing time. There's certainly, as we're going to find out, there's 5,000 men. There's probably 5,000 men, their wives, and maybe some of their kids. We're talking 15, maybe 20,000 people. We're talking Emily Arena. 
And Jesus turns to Phil and says, look at all these people, they're hungry. You're from here. Where do we get them some food? Don't miss what he says next or what John tells us next. It says in verse 6, he said this to test Phil. For he himself knew what he would do. Let's start on a high note, shall we? Is anybody here encouraged by the fact that Jesus has the answers to the test? I don't, hopefully none of you have ever cheated. Oh. But if you were ever that kid who went into the test with that crib sheet under your sleeve, I shouldn't even be talking about this. I don't even know why I'm using this as an example. But can we all agree that if you know the answers to the test, the test's way easier? Yeah, good. Let's move on. Just so you know, in everything that we experience in life, God's gone ahead of us, the Son of God's gone ahead of us, and he knows what's going to happen. No surprises with an all-knowing, all-powerful, in all places God. He's got it. He's not stumped ever. He never stood in front of his master shower handle and said, Meh. he never did that. Jesus knows what he would do. But what's he doing here? He's going to test Phil. He's going to test the rest of his disciples. He's going to do what, what good fathers and good mothers do. I know what's supposed to happen here. Do you? Jesus has the answers to the test, whether it's COVID or cancer, whether it's a lack of dollars or a, a, a person's denial of him. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He always knows. Uh, but here's the truth. Um, he tests us so that we will, in turn, look to him. We're going to see that play out in the story. He tests us so that we'll get better at faith, at looking to him. And we can't figure out uh, that part of the answer to this test until we figure it out, right? And here's what I mean by that. Some are like, okay. We can't know what we need until we admit that we need. Is everybody with me on this? Have you ever talked to someone who's pretty sure they can handle it, but they can't? There's no help in that person. They're just going to be like, nah, I got it, I got it, I got it. I was in Sam's the other day, and I was looking at some grills, and Sam's posts their prices above the grills, like, like up right about here, right? They're just on this fishing line that goes across the aisle and here's the products, and here's their prices. So this, uh, this one grill, I, I, there was a, a display, but there weren't other boxes with this grill in them. And so I, I, I flagged down finally one of the employees, and I said, hey, do you know if there's any of these? I'm interested in buying it. And, uh, and she says, well, I don't know. And so she takes it. If you've seen these people now, they take out their phones, and they scan a code. They don't, they don't call anybody. They just scan a code, and it's all on their phones or their, whatever, their hand computers. Hand computers, that's funny. Anyway, uh, and, uh, and so, so, but here's the deal. This woman, four foot eight, maybe, like in high heels, I don't know. But she's, so she's staying, so this thing's up here and she's got her phone and she's trying to focus her phone in on this thing and she's just, <laughs> like everything else is down here, I'm sure she could get it, but this one, she's like, I got, I got, I got. and she's all masked up and she's got gloves on and I'm like, oh, she probably doesn't want me to touch her or be near her or whatever, but like, we're not going to get an answer here unless I... And so I, I said, hey, do you want me to take a picture of that? And she's, what did she say? No, 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 I got it. I work here. Do this all the time. I was like, yeah, probably at the lower levels you do. But not on this one. Unless you miraculously grow here in the next few seconds. 
You're not getting that, baby. Didn't say that, thought that. And so finally, after several tries, she's just like, and hands me her phone. And in two seconds, I go, beep. And she says, no, we don't have any, and I left. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but isn't that true about us? Hey, be honest with me. Who's standing here trying to reach something you can't reach? Who's standing here saying, I got this, over and over again to a God who knows you don't? Happens all the time. But be encouraged. We serve a God, a Jesus who has the answers to the test. Now, don't miss this part because Jesus is going to test Philip. He's going to extend the test to a guy named Andrew, another one of his followers. But let's see how they handle it. We're going to see a mixed bag here. Because here's the deal. When it comes to the test, some see only the problems and they shut things down. That's where I was with the shower handle. Done. Angry, bitter. Look what Philip says. Philip Hearing this question from Jesus, answers him and says, 200 denarii, which was their currency at the time, it equals about eight months' wage for one person. So whatever you make, eight months of that, that's what they would need to feed this crowd. And he says, eight months' wage would only give them a little bit. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. It'd be like we had a, a bunch of boxes of Cheez-Its and everybody gets one. Don't you hate that person, Right? When you ask them, hey, can I have some Cheez-Its, and they give you one, you just punch them right away, right? That's not what I meant. I won't put my hand in there, right? One Dorito. Come here, right? But that's essentially what Philip's saying. What's he really saying to Jesus? Are you crazy, he says to the face of of the Son of God. Are you nuts? Judas who's been stealing from our purse, by the way, that comes later. Anyway, uh, we don't have any money. We'd need to somehow produce, if, if, even if Wawa was open, we would somehow need to produce eight months' wages to be able to give everybody a cheese it And it still wouldn't be enough. He's like, enough of this. If you read the other accounts, the disciples were all, let's take a vote. Who wants the people to go away? Twelve hands, straight up in the air. Get them out of here. Now, this is the same Philip who later on, or earlier on, I'm sorry, in the story of Jesus, met him and testified about him to his friend Nathaniel. In John chapter 1, verse 45, this is what Philip did. He found Nathaniel and he says to him, listen, we have found of him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of a guy from there named Joseph. He's testifying to a guy who doesn't believe about what he does believe. I found the Messiah. He's made the link with what Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18. Like, I see him. I've seen him. Not only that, Philip's been around when water turned into wine. He's, he sat front row as Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He's seen the miracles in much the same way that you and I, if we followed Jesus long enough, have seen him work and intercede on our behalf. But he, like us, have horrible spiritual amnesia and we forget what Jesus has done and in the heat of the moment, in the stress of the situation, we're like, this is impossible. And that's what Philip does. 
See, he's essentially doing math. Anybody like doing math? You got this app on your phone, most of you, right? And so here's what he's done. 15, 20,000 people, he's estimated. Times number one meal is a Chick-fil-A. Uh, minus what we have in the coffers, zero, equals send them home. Get them out of here. The math doesn't work. <laughs> Jesus is done with Phil and, and in comes Andrew, who sees some of the possibilities but still lacks faith, Right? Andrew at least had uh, apparently the, uh, you know, the, 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 the wherewithal to go out and ask. We don't know how he found this kid, but one of his disciples says in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, hey, there's a boy uh, here who has five barley loaves and two fish, and what are they for so many? So Andrew, a little better than Phil, not just a complete shutdown, but he, you know, like me Tuesday night, at least tried. I'll just spin the handle. Hopefully, eventually, one of the spins will make the water go off. Never happened until later. But Andrew just, you know, Jesus said, what do we got? And Andrew at least checked. Walked around. Anybody got anything? And you've all heard the story. This little boy, his mom packed him a Lunchable, right? Now, just so you know, he, there's all kinds of least, least, least in this story. Boy, least. Child, least. Barley, did you know there was four major grains in the Israeli uh, food system and barley was the cheapest one to get? It was like, you know, um, you know buying the, the no-name brand at Walmart. So he's got these, this little boy with these cheap pieces of bread and only two fish. And when we're talking about two fish, don't think like fish fish. Think like chunk of fish. Like he's, this is enough for a little boy to eat for his meal that day. That's it. And so Andrew brings his little, and he's like, here's my little, but it sure isn't a lot, and it doesn't seem to be enough. (laughs) Maybe that's you. You've at least tried, made your attempts, sought what you can do. It's a great thing, please. When you come to life's tests and struggles and trials, uh, do what you know to do. Absolutely. But if you're like me, now, you go back to your calculator and you're like, oh, this isn't going to work either because I got two fish plus five loaves divided by, where's that? Oh, there. Uh, 20,000 people equals let's go home. Can I show you what's missing on this calculator for both Philip and for Andrew? And for those of us who kind of find ourselves in these situations, let me drop it first. It's this little number right here. The God button. Here's the deal. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got a different calculator now. You're not trying to figure out life like the rest of the world on their own, by their own means, with no one else to rely on but those who are in them lives, their lives and themselves, you have been given by God the grace of God, the presence of God, the promises of God. And this is not a blab it and grab it sermon. I'm not going to say that every time you ask for something and hit the God button, he's going to give it to you. Not how it works. He's not a vending machine. Everybody gets that? But I will tell you 
that God will often lead us into the box canyons of life with no way out so that we will figure out, I can't do this. And we will finally break the glass, pull the alarm, and hit the God button and see what he can do. If we could say anything about Andrew, at least he brought something. He wasn't believing, but he's like, hey, man, if you can do something with these Lunchables, just go ahead. Love what happens next. (laughs) Just love it. Jesus shows that he can do a lot with a little when meeting a need. Jesus says to the disciples, perfect. Oh, good, you found it. One of you had the, you know, the, 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 at least the willingness to go out and look for these pieces of food that I need to do what I need to do. Way to go, Andrew. Punches him on the shoulder. And he says, everybody sit down. Just so you know, if you were back then and you were sitting down on the ground, it's picnic time. We're about to eat. It would be a signal to everybody. It's like, oh, cool, they're catering. I had no idea we were going to get a meal out of this. How sweet. He sits them down, and you guys know the story. And Mark, it tells us that they sat in groups of 100 or 50. But there was much grass in the place. It was a pleasant picnic. The, the men sat down about 5,000 in number, and then Jesus took the loaves, and we had given thanks. This is the, the Greek word, eucharisto. It's uh, from when if you grew up Catholic or you grew up in one of the mainline de- uh, denominations, Protestant denominations, you probably know that the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist. Eucharist is a Greek word that means gave thanks, but it also means, it's, it's basically a compound word, uh, the, the prefix E-U or epsilon, oops, uh, epsilon, oopsilon, not epsilon, doesn't matter, E-U. It means good. That's what, like euphoria, right? E-U, euphoria. You with me? Charis, uh, eucharisto, is the word for Grace. And so when you have been taught to say grace before your meals, you're being taught Eucharisto. Say, praise the good graces of God. That's always been fascinating to me that when, when this word, it's, it's a common word, it's not, we shouldn't make too much of it, but when, when Jesus breaks the bread, here's, here's what he's basically saying. Often for the good graces of God to come in life, there has to be a breaking of those who would receive his good graces. Has anybody noticed that in life? Like often you and I must be broken of our, you know, uh, self-entitlement, broken of our self-sufficiency, broken so that his good graces can be released to us. After he has given thanks, he distributes. It's the only uh, gospel that tells us that, that Jesus distributes. In the other gospels, it says he gave to his disciples and they distribute. Apparently, Jesus starts a process. Okay, I don't have time for this, but can we all just picture this for a second? Is, is anybody just amazed when you go deep, do a deep dive on the miracles? Like we've kind of sanitized them to the point that we just don't picture it. Okay, Jesus fed five, you know, 20,000 people, a couple fish, five loaves, great. I want to know how it happened. Is anybody with me? Like is Jesus standing there with the fish and the loaves and there's just stacks of fish, like fish sandwiches just pulling, piling up beside him now? Is anybody, are you with me? And, and the disciples are just coming and filling. That, that might have happened, but here's what I think happened. Jesus was able to multiply two fish and five loaves enough for the disciples to fill whatever their basket was so that they could start dispersing, right? And every time they would hand out the last sandwich, they'd look back and their basket was full again. Never had to go back to the kitchen. Just kept going. Anybody want to be a, a front row viewer of this miracle? How crazy would this have been? You got to know the people weren't, you know, 
just kind of taking this, you know, in an easy way. Where's he getting the fish and bread? How is this happening? These guys are never going back. How does their basket stay full? Quickly, they're understanding that this one who has been teaching them all day is able to do things that they've never seen. It reminds us of uh, the faith that we've already seen on display in this uh, gospel so far. Mary comes up to her son at the wedding, right? They're out of wine. She gets her calculator out. Uh, one wedding feast minus zero wine equals disaster. But then she hits the son of God button. And she says to those who are in attendance uh, on that night, uh, hey, this is my son Jesus. Just do whatever he says. What was she saying? I don't know what he's going to do. I don't have the numbers for that. I just hit the button and we see what he does. And what happened? Lots of wine, best wine, right? You go to the rest of the Bible story and you see guys like David, who if you wanted to do the math, Goliath, 10 feet tall, plus 150 pounds of armor, plus a 14-foot spear, plus a 16-pound spearhead, plus zero losses, equals everybody in Israel running in fear. But what does it say about our friend David? Five stones plus one sling plus bam! And he runs. You read the, you read the account again. David doesn't kind of like walk up to, he's running to the battlefield. Why? Because he has everything in and of himself to defeat this giant? Not a bit. But does he believe that the God of Israel will intercede on his behalf? You bet. So of course he's running. I can't wait to see what he does. Oh, that his church in this day and age where we need him more than ever. Come on, people. We live in an age of COVID. We live in an age of economic uncertainty. We live in an age where the Christ story is being persecuted on all sides. We live in an age where more and more things are supposed to be getting better. As mankind goes on, we should be improving. We're just showing that we're still the worst. And the message remains the same. God says, hey man, sin's gonna wreck stuff. I'm gonna fix stuff. Who are you going with? I am God, says God, and I am more than enough. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples a little bit later in his story. They had just met a rich young ruler who came up and asked Jesus what he needed to do to be saved. You remember the story? Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler looks, looks at him, Jesus, and says, hey, did that. Got it. And then Jesus says to the rich guy, what's he say? Sell everything you got. And this is not as appealing. So the rich young ruler leaves. Jesus talks about how it's so hard for rich people to get into heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And you remember what his disciples said to him? Oh, the rich rule followers aren't going to get in? What hope do we have? Remember what Jesus said? I'll tell you. In Mark 10, verse 27, he looked at them and he said this, with man, 
it. And listen, take whatever you're facing, whatever your something is right now, and put that in the place of it. Is it your husband's cancer? Is it your kid's disbelief? Is it your company's financial failures? Is it whatever, whatever it is, you put your something where Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. Your something's impossible if it's left up to you. But not with God. Why? Because all things are possible. I'm going to leave you with this one last thing. Because as Jesus feeds these people, he doesn't just give them enough, like we sang earlier. He gives them what? More than enough. When Jesus provides, he is in the business of giving more than enough. Now, let me be fair. It may not be what you think more than enough it is, right? You may have thought more than enough was more money or more this or healing here or, you know, a resolution now. But as God, according to his will, provides, he always provides more than our enough. It says that Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated and so also the fish. fish. And then what does it say? As much as what? Okay, you ever been around hungry, hungry people? Who's, who's, who's ever gone like all day and not eaten before? Anybody fasted? I, I've fasted for a while. And I gotta tell you, the first time you eat again, Katie bar the door. It's like, everybody stay back. Don't put your fingers near my mouth. It's going in, right? And lots of it are going in. Like your body is telling you, you're going to starve to death unless you get all of that in here. I've been, I've been on, and people who've been to Africa with me, they'll, they'll testify to this. If you go and you train pastors in Africa, most of them are subsistence farmers. They don't get a lot of food. And at these conferences that we, you know, provide for, there'll be lots of food. And so you'll see these pastors, these little skinny 120-pound guys, go to the buffet line, and they'll walk back. And I'm not kidding. It's like food for a week. And these guys just plow, and then I'm always the one who has to teach them after lunch, and they all pass out because their bellies are full. But, uh, but that's what's happening here. And so when you see Jesus say that they had more than enough, or, or John tell us that you know, when Jesus provided, he gave them more than enough, these people ate until they could eat no more. As much as they wanted. And then you know the story. Everybody got what they wanted. They'd eaten their full or their fill, verse 12, and he told his disciples, okay, go on out there, gather the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Every disciple given his own basket of leftovers. What does that mean? I don't know, what, what do you guys do with your leftovers? I'll be eating some today, just so you know. Cooked it on Friday, pork chops, really good, just so you know, nailed it. But they're still around. And so when I get home from church this afternoon, microwave, pork chops, booyah. Are you with me? Because that's what you do with leftovers. They provide for the next thing, the next meal, the next day. That's what the leftovers are for. It wasn't just to show that, look at what Jesus did. He gave me all this fish and bread. He, he provided for the now. Mm, get this. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Yes, you're going to face troubles. Jesus promised that. In this world, things are going to break. But what does he say? Take heart, because I have overcome the world. And I'm not just going to overcome the stuff that you're in. 
in the midst of what you're overcoming, in these moments, I'm gonna provide for you the things that you need for the next stuff that's coming. The lessons that we learn, that's why James tells us to consider it joy when we experience trials. Why? Because it's gonna make us stronger. For when? For the next stuff that's coming. I'm reminded of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys who are basically taken into captivity by the Babylonians from Israel. Um, they, early in the story of, of, of Daniel and the prophet's uh, writings, they basically refuse to eat the food that everybody else is being forced to eat. And uh, they are given, by God's grace, the chance to do that. They, they ascend in the ranks. They become uh, the, 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 you know, the, the top grads in their class. And that experience of, of putting their necks on the line in front of their captors, in the face of their captors, led them to what one of their next experiences was going to be. When the Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of himself that everybody in Babylon was to bow down to, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do it. Do you remember the story? They wouldn't. They, 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 they had experienced the, the grace, the Eucharisto of God. The good grace. And, and they weren't going to just sully that by bowing down and worshiping some image of the king. And if you know the story, the king says, here's the penalty. If you don't, we throw you in this furnace. And so they were brought before the king, and the king said, one last chance, right? If you'll just bow down to me, we can skip the furnace, and everybody goes home. You remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? Oh, king. Like, I picture them saying that. Ah, oh, ah, oh, king. <laughs> king, king, king. Here's the deal. We're not gonna bow down to your image. Why? Because we believe that we serve a God who can spare us in that fire. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what they said. But then you remember what he said? It's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. Remember what they said? But even if he doesn't, even if this is our last day on earth, 